You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Those fish will will hit those big, oh yeah, stocky looking pat those big patterns that the stockies hit, and you can actually see it when, when the guys when you get the get the UK guys, you know the the Team England and Team Ireland come over, and they're they're masters of the stocky fish because all their lakes are all stocked like that, right? 100%. All their reservoirs, exactly. And stuff, yeah, yeah. So they come over and they and they're like the. I remember seeing this one guy. He was a uh, part of the British Army, and he opened up his box. And I've never seen so many colors in my life. Like I'm not even talking blobs. I'm talking colors of every type of blob, every type of boob you can imagine. Wow. And uh, and those guys, they, when they fish those those stocky lakes, they capitalize. So it's like a full back. Then I have I pull the the pheasant tail over the top of it, and I like doing that because it creates a real natural look in the sense that it, it has the gills and the tail. But it also has that counter shadowing where the underbelly is lighter than the top. Yeah, yeah. Right? I know exactly. And, you know, and here's the thing with us fly tires. Like, we we love to look at our flies from above the vise or, or just, you know, kind of looking at it like this on a side profile, which is fine. But more often than not, we're looking down at it and we dress our flies from the top. Yeah. And that's not what the fish are seeing, right? Mm-hmm. They're seeing it from underneath or, or, or at least sideways. Or, or like kind of head on with it or underneath it right yeah that's and that's a good where point. you really got to yeah and that's where you really and that's why i think that particular pattern was doing so or does does do well when there's a mayfly emergence happening in the sense that it's it's all dark on the top like the naturals but it has that light that light uh, abdomen welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really glad you chose to join us today. And we're going to head out to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We've got Stanton Jack on the line. Now, Stanton is a competitive fly fisher. He's a uh, pro team fly tire with Chinook Wind Outfitters and Togan's Fly Shop. Uh, Born and raised in Kamloops, now finds himself in Vancouver, B.C. And this guy um, has... Well, he's a classically trained <laughs> guitarist, classical guitar teacher, has a, a master's of music in guitar. We're going to talk all about that. And uh, you know what, Stanton? I, I appreciate you taking the time. I've been watching your patterns come and go and on uh, Stillwaters for a lot of years. And man, uh, nice to finally have you on the podcast. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. How are you doing? Doing really well. Good. Um, sunny day in Vancouver, so uh, no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to take those when we can get them, right? Totally, totally. So something I like to do on the show, Stanton, is walk us through your fly fishing history. So if you had to look back um, on your time on the water, take us back to the beginning. Where did your passion for fly fishing start? 
Well, it um, when I first first started fishing, did a lot of trolling with my grandpa, grandfather, and my father. You know, trolling flatfish and stuff as a really really young kid, like you know five, six, seven, eight years old. And then by the time I got into junior high, uh, some of my friends that I was going to school with um, were avid fly fishers. Um, they were lived out in Hefley and and Rayleigh, and they they fished a lot of the lakes out there. And they said, uh, you know, come along, give it a try, and stuff like that. And uh, and I just got hooked, just got hooked with it. Um, you know, uh, fishing leech patterns and and dragon patterns and uh, bloodworms and chronomids. And uh, that's from there, then started doing some fly tying. They were all fly tying and kind of got into it. And, you know, it was a bit of a bit of a sink and swim, kind of learning how to mm-hmm. tie patterns and stuff. And, and then from there, it, uh, it was just a, you know, became an obsession. Passion became an obsession. And we found ourselves, uh, you know, we'd finish school at like 3 p.m., and then, you know, in May and June, we'd be out on the lakes, 20 minutes out of Kamloops, you'd be on the lake till 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, and it was just a fantastic, uh, fantastic place to, to grow up and be a fly fisherman. Well, if you're going to grow up anywhere and you're kind of still water focused, that's a pretty darn good place. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, and then when the summer months would come around, like July and August, uh, we would, we'd head down to the river and and fish the thompson from basically savannah right uh you know sometimes right down to ashcroft wow and uh you know and you hang out bounce around on the rocks and nobody had waders or anything like that so (laughs) it was a fantastic uh you know early fly fishing um time in my life right growing up like that is there any greasier rocks than those on the thompson oh gosh you know i fished them a couple years ago and I had forgotten just how, you know, when you go around, when you get around like that Ashcroft area, the big boulders. Oh, yeah. And they have to be the most slipperiest rocks ever, right? You know, you get used to some of the coastal rocks down here and, you know, you get your boulders and your steely type of terrain and stuff. But uh, those Thompson ones are, are something else. <laughs> yeah, I used to go up and try my hand at steelhead many years ago and I'll I, I don't fish the Thompson a lot, but I'll tell you what, I've never, ever had such a hard time standing up. <laughs> yeah. I did there. Crazy. You got a respect for those rocks, for those boulders. You know, they're widow makers, those things. That's you know, exactly so. right. Exactly. <laughs> so if you had to think about who influenced your fly fishing, so um, who would you look to as kind of either a mentor or somebody that you've learned from along the way? Because I, I know you're doing some competitive fly fishing, so I have a have a feeling that's a pretty long list with you. Yeah. Well, when I, when I started doing it in high school and stuff, it would be my, my friends, uh, Gary Dalgleish and Jay Schmidt. And, uh, you know, the guys I went to school with, they were, you know, great, uh, great casters, great, um, fly tires and stuff. So I learned a lot from them and I haven't, my, my older brother, Patrick, he's uh, 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, a master, masterful, uh, chronomid fisher. You know, one of those guys that, uh, you know, it'd be like late October and uh, there's not a hatch and he's got on a size 16 scud, you know, uh, black sally or something. And, he, and he's pulling out like, you know, 20 fish or something, right? He's just really, uh, you know, he's good got, like that. He's got the knack. He's got the knack, you know, and he's the one that uh, got me into, um, you know, taught me the idea of finding the depths, starting a foot off the bottom 
uh, you know, uh, putting down, sinking down your coronamid with your forceps or, mm-hmm. or a weighted piece of foam and sending it down there and getting your depths and then lining up your, your indicator and stuff for, you know, fishing indicator. And, uh, he was a big part of big influence on, on me like that and showing me how, how, you know, the behavior patterns of the fish and stuff. Right. And where they like to lay and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that was, that was the first part. And then as I, uh, you know, later on, I moved down to Vancouver and started my master's degree in music. And, um, I started talking with some of the local shops, um, Matt Sharp up at uh, Pacific Angler sold me my first uh, fly rod for salmon fishing. And then I learned this, a whole new way of fishing here. And I started tying, you know, big pink and purple looking uh, intruder like bugs and, mm-hmm. and clouds or minnows. And I, I got into that and I I'd drive up to, uh, to Squamish and fish squ- the main stem Squamish and the tribs, you know, for chum and coho and, and early, uh, early Chinook and stuff. Mm-hmm. and uh that was a lot of fun and then around 2000 i think it was 2016 i was fishing uh, we went cutthroat fishing out on the stave river and uh in i think it was about march and you know we would we'd go out there in the river me and my buddy kai he's from new zealand and uh he was just as passionate about fly fishing as i was we'd go out there like you know before anybody would be there, like pitch black and we'd be walking through the rocks, you know, are we, we're in the right spot. Okay. We keep going. And, uh, we, uh, you know, we fished all morning, all afternoon. I think I got one white fish. He got one cutty and we're like, what's going on, you know? And then this guy showed up and he, uh, he fishing up river from us and, uh, just shows up, starts going and lobbing it out. I remember my friend Ty saying, you know, what's that guy doing? You know, mm-hmm. poor, poor, poor guy, he can't cast. And then he picks up the fish. And, uh, and my friend Kai's like, Oh, you know, he just got lucky there. He just got lucky. Don't think anything of it. And, uh, so he's, he's working the run, working the run, picks up another, picks up another. And I'm like, you know, Kai, something's up here. This guy's, this guy's using something. What's going on? So I go up and talk to him and he said, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm your own empty. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm tight lining and I'm fishing these heavy, heavy weighted nymphs. And he actually, I said, can I, can I see one? And he pulled out the box and he shows me and I'm like, wow, you know, and it's just a colorful things of these huge four millimeter beads and mm-hmm. tiny little bodies on them, like tight, tight wound bodies. And I thought, wow, that's cool. And he said, yeah, I'm part of a, I'm part of a BC league, a fly fishing league, I'm a competitive fly fisher. And I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. Right. And then, and he actually worked his, he worked, he goes, can I, can I work in front of you? And he went right where I was casting, you know, nymphs and streamers all day. And he went up and he picked up like three cutties right in front of me. <laughs> and I was like, and right then and then I was like, I got to, uh, I got to learn this technique. I have to, you know, just the numbers were incredible. Yeah. And, um, so I remember, I think I was on what, uh, forum was I on fly BC forum. And Todd Oshie uh, said, I advertised a clinic that he's putting on at Cabela's for uh, river nymphing, euro nymphing, uh, a free clinic. And I, so I was like, right on, I got, I'm going to take this. So I signed up for it and I went out there, uh, introduced myself as a fantastic clinic and, uh, and started learning, you know, euro nymphing techniques. 
And that's, that's how I got into competitive fly fishing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, it, it was, it's been a complete learning process right. and, uh, you know, at, at times very humbling because, you know, I, when I did my first competition in 2000, 2017, um, there's, I think 28 guys and I finished, you know, second from last, I think it was 27th or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. I didn't finish last. And I found out the reason why I didn't finish last is because the 28th guy didn't finish. He actually didn't finish the competition. He had to leave halfway through. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, you know? And, uh, so then I did another one. I think it was a month later. I did another one and I finished third from last. So it's been quite a learning process. Right. Right. But, uh, it, it's been really good. And, and, you know, you, you, you start out with these things and they don't always work out, you know, the way you want them and stuff. And because, you know, I had caught steelhead in our rivers down here and I had all my, my Thompson river and Clearwater river and the Clearwater tribs, uh, tribs up in that area, river fishing. And I thought, you know what, I could, I could do this competitive fishing, but, uh, you know, it's a totally different technique and a very effective technique learning that, uh, Euro, Euro style nymphing. Mm. So, so if you don't mind me asking, yeah. the, the fellow you ran into that was initially showing you and, and catching all those fish, did have you met up with him since? Yeah, that's one of my good friends in the league, uh, John Wilkinson. And <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, Fair super, enough. super nice guy. And uh, he, um, you know, he, he showed me and that's showed me the, the nymphs and, yeah. and I fished with him on the lakes and rivers since and uh, I learned a lot from him personally. But also learned a, a ton from you know all the uh, all the guys that have experience in the league. You know, like Todd Oshie, yeah. um, John Wilkinson, Mike Learmont, uh, You know, lots of names. Uh, then the thing is, these guys are all um, fly fishermen for Team Canada, right? Yeah, exactly. And they uh, and they're so you know they don't they're not going to catch the fish for you. But you know, quite often I you know now that I'm friends with these guys, I, I've messaged them. You know, like be like. 10 o'clock at night and I'll be like, Hey, what's your favorite color blog? (laughs) (laughs) Questions like that. Right. They're like, well, you know, it's not actually the color. It's the, it's a presentation, you know, and, but it's good. It's good. And I've tried to, to do that myself, like with, as my skills have improved with the uh, competitive fly fishing, I try and kind of pay that forward too. Right. Any way I can. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's cool. I had, uh, so I've had Todd Oshie on the show and in fact we had to turn it into two episodes cause the guy was like a walking encyclopedia. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I can't stop this conversation. I, I honestly just talking with him like yourself, I learned so much and I, how important is that in the competitive league kind of having someone that can mentor you or, or kind of bring you along and, 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 and float ideas to. Well, you know, I think it's super important and in, with with Todd, Todd is Todd is a kind of a mentor to us all, really. Like all of us in the BC League, and uh, you could say that you know he's president of Fly Fishing Canada, and uh, super super helpful in that sense. Like you know you can ask him about fly lines, uh, you know retrieves. He often he'll he'll put stuff up and you know how to tie you know mend a line and stuff like that. And when when you're in the competitions with them, I've fished with them a few times um, in the same group with him in the competition. And, uh, you know, it's always good having a guy like that because they can, sometimes they'll just say a few words, you know, it could be something like, uh, 
I remember, I think it was the second year we were on the fishing at Vetter River Comp. And at that time I was thinking, you know, like how, how can I, can I better myself? And like, and I was kind of, you know, you almost start getting insecure because you're not finishing where you want to or where you think you should. And he said this, he said this to me, he goes, you know, we, we call it competitive fly fishing, but it's, we're just getting together fishing. You know, the only competition is you're, you're competing against yourself really. Like how quickly can you adapt? How can you, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, read the water and adapt and, and, you know, and better yourself in the process of doing it, by you know, getting, getting your fish and stuff. And when he, when he said that, that just really stuck with me. I just thought, you know, that's what it's about. It's, you know, I'm not competing against him or other people. Right. I'm, I'm, this is just a marker of, you know, how much I'm bettering my skills as an angler. Yeah. You know, this is just giving me an idea. And then once, once I, kind of went with that and that's uh stuck with me it really made a difference with my attitude and competition like right. i was much more relaxed and i was thinking okay you've done this before you've you've seen this before this is you know it's june you're on this lake this lake's this elevation next to this lake you fish that lake you know mm-hmm. and then you put it together right and it's it's really helped so yeah having a guy like that and just you know kind of like a captain in the locker room right just says a few things right and leads by example, and it really, really sticks like that. So it strikes great to have a guy like that. Strikes me how how humble a lot of these people are. Because I mean, no, no matter whether it's fly fishing or any competitive sport or whatever you're competitive at, um, not every sport is so giving. If you know what I'm saying, like so. In other mm-hmm. words, like you know, why would I share this with you? I, everybody that I've talked to that fly fishes competitively is the polar opposite of that. It's like I'll show you how to do it. I'll show you what I'm doing if you want to know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've shared a boat um, and a couple of car rides with some uh, competitors from, you know, other countries. And they're, you know, these guys are international competitors. And um, I remember one of them was uh, uh, Peter Driver, who's a captain of Team Ireland. And I said, Peter, like, you know, what are those, what do those flies look like? And he, he pulls out his box. He's like, they look like this. <laughs> I'm like looking at these, like, you know, it's like this huge box of competitive uh, lake patterns, right? Right. And he, and I'm like, so, you know, how are you fishing them? And, you know, what line are you using? And, and this, that, and the other, and asking him different scenarios as much as I could kind of come up with on the ride. And he's like, I tell you what, why don't you take a picture of them? Right. Wow. And then you can, you can try them. Right. And I was like, really? <laughs> so snap a pic of all these dappers and all these, fantastic uh patterns from across the pond right Mm -hmm. and uh but you know like it's it's like that and they'll tell you they'll say you know what you need to try these on a sweep line and this is working and uh you just basically have to you know take a look at some of those patterns and then imitate and create your own and Mm -hmm. then put them into uh you know sometimes you might want to add weight to them or fish them unweighted or you know, try them on different countdowns with different weights, but, uh, right. It's really great like that. So before we go too deep into, into fly time, competitive fly fishing, I just Mm -hmm. want to get, uh, get to know you and some of your tendencies, uh, day to day. You ready for a few, uh, questions? Let's do it. All right. So now (laughs) this will be interesting to me because you're a musician. That is your, your day job, if you will. 
mm-hmm. when you're not fishing. So as a classical guitar player, what are you listening to on your way to the water? Well, you know, I was, I was thinking of that and, uh, I like listening to classic rock when I'm, when I'm going fishing. Like it's, I like hearing a bit of Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. uh, some Hendrix, some Black Sabbath, yeah. um, you know, and it's different than what you'd expect a classical guitarist to, uh, to listen to. Yeah. Um, but that's what I grew up listening to when I was fishing. You know, like if we were <laughs> all sitting in the truck or whatever, and we're going out to a lake or, or heading down to the Thompson or, or wherever, yeah. we always had that music on. Yeah. You know, yeah. we always had Led Zeppelin cranked or something like that. You know, and some, you know, one of us would have that, the, the Makita work radio with that hooked up in the boat. Right. Right. And, uh, so that's kind of, it brings that feeling back yeah. of, of going fishing and, and that whole journey, you know, because I, I love that feeling of, of heading to the lake first thing in the morning or, or the river. And, uh, and those tunes kind of bring that, give me that feeling back when I have them on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, this past year, it's been a lot of uh, radio and news, but um, but when I'm going for the for the big journeys, like if I'm heading back into the interior or something, um, you know, it's nice to have the the classic rock on for sure. Yeah, yeah. One go-to fly pattern that you can't live without. So, if you're opening your box, let's let's go Stillwater first. If you're hitting a okay. Stillwater Lake in and around, you know, the Kamloops region, what's a go-to fly for you? Uh, you know, I love to fish them is the may, is mayfly nymphs. I love them. I, I, I love tying them. I love fishing them. If I could catch fish on mayflies, I'm one happy guy, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it depends on, I guess if it's spring or if it's fall, if it's, you know, summer. Um, but I get out of jail pattern for me and a pattern I spend a lot of time fishing on is a blob. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I fish a lot of blobs. Um, I fish them on type threes, intermediates, all depends, but, uh, you know, but, uh, those, uh, could be a leech, could be a mayfly. Right. Like as far as the naturals go, sure. I put on a leech, kind of search around a little bit, maybe on a sweep line. Um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if I can cast out that mayfly nymph, you know, in a smaller size 14 and start picking up fish. I will really enjoy doing that and fish that a lot. I got, I got to say, uh, Stanton, some of the, some of the most frustrating days I've ever had on still water is when there is a mayfly hatch and they're kind of taking them either just subsurface, you know, they're swirling around, but I just can't, I don't know if it's an emerger thing or if it's a nymph thing or it's an adult. I struggle on those days when those mayflies are popping sometimes. Uh, yeah, it, it can be tricky. They can get selective, right? Hmm. Um, I know myself as, you know, if you can, sometimes you'll get a fast intermediate, say one and a half inches per second, bomb it out there. And then, you know, you'll start doing your countdowns, you know, you start with a 10 second, 20 second until you kind of figure out what depth they're at. Mm-hmm. Then you got to work to retrieve. Uh, sometimes that comes quick, that whole process. Sometimes it doesn't, um, you know, it gets really exciting when you can, you know, in 10 feet of water and you can huck out a type three and it's, you know, you got your five inches per second and you're, 
and you, you know you might do a 30 second countdown and you start ripping that mayfly through the water just inching it along sporadically and they start hammering it that's when it gets really exciting because that's when you when you know it's on for sure right but um and here's the thing too i've had i've had like last um last october on thanksgiving weekend i was on uh, a lake up in kamloops in the kamloops area there wasn't a single bug in the water like honestly i could you know showing nothing right Mm-hmm. some daphne in the throat samples and stuff like that and you know so i tried to scud i had a little hit couple hits on the scud and i thought you know what i'm gonna put this i had this mayfly I'd tied up earlier real kind of fancy looking thing with gills and everything and i thought i'm gonna put this on and i hucked that out on my intermediate had a little sip of coffee started you know doing the four inches back and stuff like that and bam 11 fish in the pot, probably about 20 casts on that. <laughs> it was incredible. And I came back, I talked to my friend Gary when I got back into town. He said, how did it go out there? I said, they're just hammering mayflies. He goes, I would have never expected that, you know, but hmm. they were, Yeah. you know, so some, and that's and like, honestly, there wasn't out of all those fish, I pumped about four of them and uh, didn't show a single mayfly in their bellies at all. So, wow. so <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you fishing like a pheasant tail? type pattern or is this a little more specific than that what i like to the one that i was fishing that day i um it has moose mane tail mm-hmm. a little three three moose mane sticking out the back for the tail yeah um i have a thread body and then i do uh i do this technique with the thread where i i wrap it around and create gills on the side of it mm-hmm. and then i have this um so it's like a full back. Then I have, I pull the, the pheasant tail over the top of it. And I like doing that because it creates a real natural look in the sense that it, it has the gills and the tail, but it also has that counter shadowing where the underbelly is lighter than the top. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I know exactly. And you know, and here's the thing with us fly tires, like we, we love to look at our flies from above the vice or, or just, you know, kind of looking at it like this on a side profile, which is fine. But more often than not, we're looking down at it and we dress our flies from the top. Yeah. And that's not what the fish is seeing, right? Mm-hmm. They're seeing it from underneath or, or, or at least sideways or, or like kind of head on with it or underneath it, right? Yeah. That's and that's a good where point. you really got to, yeah. And that's where you really, and that's why I think that particular pattern was doing so or does, does do well when there's a mayfly emergence happening in the sense that it, it's all dark on the top, like the naturals, but it has that light that light uh, abdomen is the abdomen is it tan color or gray what's your go-to it's uh i do a lot of tan utc 70 yeah for the underbodies yeah and then i use a sometimes i'll i'll start with tan and i'll put a little layer or pardon me i'll start with light olive and put the tan over it to kind of give it that once the uh the resin hits it, it creates that kind of cool looking natural olive tan look to it yeah yeah and uh yeah, those that particular pattern has worked well, and another pattern with that same, with that same tan UTC seventy is I'll wrap quill, um, peacock quill, strip yeah. peacock quill around it, and create that kind of segmented abdomen look. Yeah, that that gives a beautiful look. I really like that. You so do you do you do you um, kind of pinch the hurl off that, or do you buy buy them ready stripped? I buy the, uh, so you'll get like the whole peacock and I'll have the swords and the eye. Yeah. And then I go right up to the eye. Okay. And I cut them as close as I can and 
I sit there with my fingernail and an eraser and I'll, yeah. and I'll do maybe 10 of them, you know, and out of the 10, <laughs> out of the 10, like three, three will be complete. Uh, they just won't work. They'll just break apart in your fingers. Yeah. But, uh, my daughter, my daughter ended up finding this. I don't know where she got this one eye from. It was gigantic. I said, I said, Bridget, let me, let me have that eye. I'll trade you three of my swords, you know, the full things for it. She goes, okay. But that eye has been fantastic because I've been able to, to go past the 12 two XL for the body. Wow. You know, if you want to tie bigger ones, right. I don't know where she got it, but it's, it's, uh, it's good. That, yeah, so you naturally strip them there. You're throwing out some nuggets here. I'm loving it. It's good because it's <laughs> it's uh, it's funny. I know when I sit down to tie and I think, okay, I need to strip this peacock curl. But if you would have done it ahead of time, you know, like you say, you sit down and you do ten or twelve of those, and then you've got them for the next time you need them. That's that's a good tip. Yeah, that's and I've been doing that with a lot of my tying lately. Like, you know, when you even when you're tying a chronomid, like you'll go out, you'll put your your bead on and tie on your your gills and stuff and and you'll finish it and then you do the whole process again but if you actually said you know what i'm going to tie half a dozen or a dozen of these this pattern and you did all your your prep work you know like almost like how a cook does all their pre-chopping and stuff like that yeah good analogy yeah it really really uh keeps things moving and keeps things you, you get that rhythm you're like that's done you get your dimensions right and you can actually create a good half a dozen to a dozen patterns Mm. that all look the same right you know so you're just Mm. a little bit more efficient right we're speaking tonight with stanton jack out of vancouver bc competitive fly fisher uh he's with the pro team uh fly tire at uh, chinook wind outfitters and also with togan's fly shop tie some just truly incredible flies um check him out on instagram but what is your instagram handle if uh, people maybe say want to check out i'm sure you probably have that mayfly pattern somewhere on your on your posts that is uh, Van F- Van Fly Fishing at Van Fly Fishing on Instagram. Perfect. What's your favorite place, Stanton, to talk fly fishing? So when you're not in your waders or in your pontoon or in your you know whatever kind of vessel you're fishing out of, mm-hmm. is it a coffee shop? Is there a fly shop? Is there a pub? Where do you go to get your fix when you're not fishing? I, and, and to talk about fly fishing? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, sometimes I'll chat with my friends just talk with them over there, you know, well, usually we're actually fishing when we do that. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's with, right now with the, you know, there's, there's lots of, uh, uh, forums you can chat on and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like there's, there's still waters on Facebook. That's a, that's a really great place where, where people are, are, uh, interacting and showing patterns and talking about techniques. Yeah. Um, yeah. I spend, I spend time there. Actually, at one point I actually had to stop myself because <laughs> I was on my phone too much. I was like, I'm doing way too much phone time on this page. <laughs> so yeah. I uh, took a bit of a break there, but, um, you know, sometimes I'll get on the phone. Call up some of my friends in Camelot will be like, so, you know, <laughs> and it's like December or January in Camelot. I'm like, so what are you doing? They're like, you know what we're doing. It's like, you know, <laughs> minus 10 outside and our lakes are frozen. We're going to go play pond hockey or we're going to, sit in the garage right yeah or tie and, some know, flies and tie some flies right and yeah. uh you know and then there's um just in the past year i've picked up a lot of books and fired up my reading hmm. um <laughs> my reading uh, i don't want to say my reading skills but like done a lot more reading what do you like and to read i've been really interested in uh dry fly tying books okay right so i picked up a couple um dry flying dry 
what am I trying to say? Fly tie and dry fly. Dry fly tie. <laughs> that's a hard one. That's a, that was a tricky one to spit out. Yeah. But uh, but it's been great, and I because I haven't done a lot of that tying, right? I you know yeah. I've tied like elk hair caddis and mm-hmm. and uh, some go to patterns like that. But I just in the past year, past two years actually, I've been really getting into it and trying to you know tying these adult caddis patterns and and uh you know some of these mayflies you know with uh you know wally winged mayflies and things like that and uh it's a it's a it's an art form and it's really cool because i've spent so much time on patterns that are subsurface yeah to to actually get into that and to really uh you know it better myself as a fly tire is is was the main goal of it and and uh you know so a lot of a lot of reading and stuff. So, it's funny, it's like that. I, I can totally relate to that, and I think probably a lot of tires can. You get, you do get focused on certain styles of patterns, whether it's, whether it's scud patterns, whether it's chronomid patterns, mayfly patterns. But and and let's face it, most of our fishing is done subsurface. So I think probably, as fly tires, that's probably why we we tend to stick with with a lot of nymph patterns. What do you absolutely. think? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And you know it's the percentage of, uh, of, of the food source on the trout, you know, like it's like 90% down there. Right. I don't know the exact percentage, but, um, you know, and, and the thing is we get, uh, and they work, right. You know, you gotta, you tie some good pheasant tails, you tie some good, you know, blood leeches, uh, some semi scale leeches and a couple of boatmen throw in the mix. And of course our chromies and our, our black sallies and that, and we can fish and do really well. Yeah. on most lakes doing that and the same with the rivers like you tie a couple uh a hair's ear a gold bead hair's ear and a size 16 with a four millimeter bead and like i've said it before sometimes like you you could probably fish that pattern on the river and then maybe on a 12 2xl or 14 2xl with uh you know a smaller bead like a 332nd mm-hmm. that same pattern on the lake and and you would you would do well right? Like yeah. you would catch fish. Yeah. <laughs> like there's just some of those patterns, like the hairs there and the pheasant tails, they are eternal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. remember, I remember, uh, 30 years ago fishing Corbett Lake and there was uh, a fella come up from the States and I'd never heard of a zug bug and he was just slaying them on. I thought mayflies were popping and I asked him what he's using. He said a Z bug. I'm like, what the hell is a Z bug? And, and it was a river pattern, really, but it, uh, well, I assume it was invented as a river pattern, and, and I know it's a goat, I know it's a pretty standard pattern, but man, there's a lot of, I mean, just because it's fished in rivers doesn't mean it won't work in lakes and vice versa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's, um, it's shocking, like, you can just change the dimensions on some of these, and some of them are like, you know, coming back to, to uh, Todd Oshi, he has a pattern that he came up with a river pattern that it's called the OMG that this bright orange body. Okay. Right. Kind of a UV shrimp pink collar on it. You can take that pattern, change the dimensions, put it on your, on your, on your, you know, on a type three or an intermediate and start retrieving that in the shoals mm. or in the shallows. And yeah. that thing will pick up fish. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's unreal. And, patterns just cross over right so yeah they, they totally work 
are you a sports guy? Um, being in Vancouver, so I are you a uh, Lions, Canucks, Seahawks? Uh, where do you get your fix in sports? Uh, definitely a Canucks fan. Always been a Canucks fan. Yeah. The uh, in the past few years, I've been working so many nights teaching that I kind of drifted away from the from the the hockey and a little just a bit because uh, yeah. when you're not when you're not home to watch the games, it's just not the same, right? Yeah, but uh, but definitely a Canucks fan. Um, I got into World Cup soccer because I was home during the days and <laughs> and they were showing the soccer games and you know I never was into it before, but uh, started getting into it. And my wife's my wife's from Ireland, and uh, she's a soccer fan too, so we started getting into that. Fair enough. But that's you know, and uh, for sports, you know, back in back in the the, growing up in the 80s and 90s i was a huge boxing fan right okay yeah yeah and uh the i was thinking of that too and growing up there and watching like those fighters you know oscar de la hoya yeah um you know sugar ray leonard going back further uh hagler thomas hearns yeah of course mike tyson those those were fantastic days to to be a sports fan to be a boxing fan because yeah it was it was a those were huge fighters and they were kind of the last of the, of the big fights in boxing. Oh yeah. And, uh, it was huge. You know, like, people, I don't, huge. I don't think people today, um, maybe that are a bit younger don't realize, I mean, they've got MMA now and they got all this other stuff, but it's like, that was the deal, man. That was, uh, I, yeah, I, I used to love boxing too. I don't watch it anymore oh. to be quite honest. I don't know why. I don't, I don't even know if there is boxing anymore, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I remember, I know Vin, we, remember Vinny Pazienza, Vinny the Hitman, oh man, wait, he's come out in these remember, le- leopard he came in. Yeah, we remember the, remember the boxing shorts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and you do this dance around the ring and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I, I remember, he, he was, he was a crazy fighter. Yeah. Crazy, that guy was crazy in and out of the ring, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, but uh, you, you think back of that, and one thing I was always happy always been happy about this is uh i can remember coming down to vancouver my grandfather used to live in vancouver and uh coming down here and it was be it would be like the late 70s i was really really young and seeing remember wide world of sport oh yeah yeah Jim, i saw muhammad ali fight yeah. live right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? oh, yeah. on, on, on wide world of sports mind you yeah but uh jim that mckay was cool. that was his name jim yeah. mckay yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah but uh the tragedy that was, that was... the defeat <laughs> that's right <laughs> that guy wiping out over those barrels yeah okay it's come i'm having a flashback yeah yeah totally mm. but that was uh that was cool to see in sports you know like you'd see a fighter like that you know even though he's at the end of his career right yeah but to see the a legend like that uh on tv you know yeah and it, and it wasn't pay-per-view it wasn't any of that stuff it was yeah, you like know you're sunday saturday three. sports yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome and that was cool yeah good stuff i just yeah. uh, it's, uh having some flashbacks all of a sudden i forgot all about it uh, wide world of sports <laughs> yeah um what's the yeah. what's the biggest lesson you learned on your fly fishing journey let's get back to the water here so if you had to kind right. of think about what fly fishing brings into your world uh what does it do for you you know it's uh I was thinking of this, I, and I've told people this too. I, you know, I love that sensation of the take, right? Um, when I'm either stripping a line in and I feel that take, or if I'm 
you know, doing a two hand cast and I got a, you know, a scalp in or an intruder out and all of a sudden, bam, a steely hits it or, or a heavy bowl or something like that. I love that feeling of the take. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, I fish in some very beautiful places, you know, scenery wise, but they could be brick walls painted black. And if I could still get that take, I'd be just as happy, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, that, uh, that's well put. That, that is, I've asked a lot of people that question and no one said that yet, but I, I know exactly <laughs> everybody listening knows exactly what you're talking about. And there's an adrenaline, like there's a, there's a feeling like it, you know, just you're hucking something out there that, you know, you've created and you're, 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 you're testing nature. And then when you get that, that response back, it is just awesome. Especially if, you know, you get like a five pound panask or something pulling on that it's just like whoa you know yeah. or steely or something you're just like yes right yeah and uh time kind of start kind time kind of stands still when that happens like yeah. it's you know you i would love to actually have my heart monitored when that actually happens because <laughs> i don't think i'm actually breathing and i start foaming at the mouth as i'm retrieving and stuff <laughs> like that right? a, you're creating a pretty picture here. you know and well here's the thing like and i watch some of my friends and they'll, they'll you know they'll have something like a seven pound eight pound panask on right and they're and they're yeah. fighting it you know yeah. and, and and i'm watching and they're cool as a button you know they're just just ice they're just cool you know they're kind of laughing and me when i do that like the, it's chaos in the boat like literally like i'm kicking <laughs> over the cooler i've just knocked over a beer or something and i'm like you know get out of my way get out of my way or something. <laughs> somebody's with me and stuff. don't show them the net you know like that that's funny. right but uh yeah and that's something i'd like to actually improve on you <laughs> 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 know kind of keep my cool when i'm when i'm fighting a fish right yeah because that's funny it's just it's just <laughs> adrenaline right you, you know you always know the coolest cat on the water is that one that can have that seven, eight pounder on just like it's a doo to do walk in the park. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm picturing coolers falling over and beers. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it, honestly. And I, and I'll look at them and I'll be like, 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 you know, it's, it's like, it's a, almost like it's a everyday occurrence or something, Yeah, you know, like a trophy rainbow. Yeah. And, and it's just peeling backing, going to backing and they're reeling it in and they're smiling. I'm thinking, wow. Like if, I would just be, I'd probably be turning blue from not breathing yeah. and just locked up in like traction because my arms would be so stiff. Right. Uh, yeah. I know. I know where you're going with that. <laughs> Good stuff. Fill in the blank for me. When, when you're not fly fishing, you're usually doing what? Playing guitar. I play a lot of guitar and I tie a lot of flies when I'm not fly fishing. Yeah. You know, um, tell me about that. Tell me about your passion for guitar. Like, where did that come from? Have you always had it? Is it something you just kind of found? Well, you know, the, uh, it's something that I've always, like, I can't even actually remember when I started. That's how long it goes back. Um, my, uh, my uncles and my grandfather all played guitar. They're Mm -hmm. a Polynesian family. The family's from Fiji and they, uh, the grandfather was from Samoa. So there was, you know, and they used to have these big parties when I was like a wee wee kid. And, uh, you know, the parties were the, it's just like clouds of smoke and all the ashtrays are heaping over and stuff. <laughs> but uh, they would have these parties and, um, you know, there would be singing. They'd, they'd, there'd be like half a dozen guitars around and ukuleles and playing guitar and singing, you know, some dancing and stuff. Everybody's having a good time. Yeah. And you'd see this as a young, young kid, like, you know, two, three years old or whatever. 
And I already knew the idea of playing guitar. Like I knew one hand had to go this way and the other hand had to move up and down, right? You know, strumming. Yeah. So even before I had my first guitar started, I kind of already knew how to play it or knew how, you know, you hand a guitar to some people and they don't know how to hold it. I already knew how to hold it and how to act with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So like there was already that, that part was already um, understood. And uh, hmm. so I remember my uncle showing me chords and some of the family friends showing me some scales. And I, you know, started learning that. And then I, my mom put me in some guitar lessons. I did that for a little bit, but I, where it really kind of took off is when in junior high in grade eight and we had guitar class and you'd be in a guitar class with a whole whack of other players. And that's when the learning process really begun. And that's all pre pre YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, pre internet, any of that, you know, you, we used to sit there and listen and play and you'd get your record and you'd lift your record and move it back. And you almost always scratched it doing <laughs> it, but you had to learn that riff. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so it, you know, you'd see somebody doing it and then you would learn it and kind of go and there'd be songs like, you know, write a passages songs. Like you would, you know, of course there was a stairway to heaven and stuff yeah. like that, but yeah. you'd have to learn all these riffs to kind of graduate onto it. And, uh, then I started playing in a, with some friends at school and we got a band going, played a lot of the, a lot of thrash metal. We're into Metallica and Suicidal Tendencies and mm-hmm. the big four, Megadeth and Anthrax, Slayer. Yep. And uh, then as that was going, I got into my late teens and a friend introduced me to flamenco guitar and the guitar works of Paco de Lucia. Okay. And I heard that and I was just blown away. I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. Like that's, that's the sound that's, you know, and at that time I'd kind of play all the electric guitar riffs, you know, and was not, I didn't want to say I was getting bored with it, but I was kind of felt like I was needed something new, something different. Yeah. Something and challenging. I got it, some, yeah. Something like that. And I heard that and I said, okay, that's what I got to do. And uh, so I started getting, got a nylon string guitar, started playing more nylon strings, a lot, learning a lot of, flamenco stuff from anybody that I could learn that could do, you know, flamenco strumming or scales. And then, uh, I remember my aunt said to me, she, she goes, you know, you're, you're getting pretty serious about your music. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right into it. I'm just loving it. And she goes, have you ever thought about, you know, going down and get an education, like doing a degree or something or a diploma? I said, yeah, maybe, you know, never really thought of it. She goes, why don't you grab a, go do an audition and see where you, where you land with it all, see where you, how it works out. So I went down and I uh, got, did an audition at Capilano College. Yeah. And uh, th- they actually said, you know, you, you play very well, but you can't read a single note. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. And uh, they said, so we'll, we're willing to let you in to the school. You can start your, your uh, diploma, but you're going to be on probation. So if you don't, in, you know, get your theory down and your note reading, um, <laughs> you're not going to continue. So I, I came down, I said, you know, I passed my audition, I'm going to give it a go. So the idea was I'd do two years diploma and then go back to Kamloops and teach guitar and live my life in Kamloops. And those two years, we did two years and I, I liked it and I was learning a ton. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go for a bachelor's and then, you know, so I transferred out to UBC, did four years. And the next step was, um, you know, get a master's degree and do this professionally. Right. 
so then I did that graduated in 2006 um, and you know started teaching and performing in uh, the lower mainland and around British Columbia and Canada and uh, and you know went from there and just kind of kept kept the kept the journey going yeah right? so I always been think a cool journey I always think of like uh, like classical guitar is it just seems like you have to be so much more dedicated is that accurate i mean like like put it in time perspective you're talking about rock stuff and you you know three chords and 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 I'm, i would imagine it's like tying a 52 buick versus you know sitting back in time some of these creations you're whipping up at the vice talk to me about that like what, what where's the challenge come from and what makes you kind of want to make that leap well, you know, it, it, it is true. There is, you know, you have to, you have to learn, um, you have to get technique and learn the technique, fingerstyle technique. And I love that aspect. And I actually love that aspect about fishing. I love that about fly tying. Um, I love learning technique like that, like, mm-hmm. and then being able to get those techniques, create music and being able to play, um, you know, being able to play the pieces that you're hearing in concerts or on records or CDs or what have you. Right. Right. Um, so it does in, in, uh, require uh, learning technique and getting the proper movements of the fingers and the proper position of the hands to create the sound. Um, so it's, I, uh, it does require a little bit more. I mean, like there's still, you know, still a ton of technique involved to, uh, you know, play some of the big solos and some of the big, um, pieces out there on the electric or, or steel string or anything like that. Right. But I do think classical guitar has a certain um, element of technique that you need to have and a certain, uh, certain element of refinement in sound. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, a lot of, you know, guitarists, classical guitarists spend a ton of time, you know, filing their nails, getting their nails the right shape to create that warm, big sound that, yeah. um, you know, that concert sound, right? I look, I know I'm not a very good guitar player, but I took classical lessons years ago from this guy. And I just, it always stuck with me. His name was, uh, Selwyn Redivo. And he said, right. he, he was amazing. And it was, it was like a dance when he was playing guitar. And all I wanted to do was play rock and roll. And I'm just like, my parents are making me do this. I just want to plug this thing in. And he, <laughs> he looked at me one day and he goes, you know, I used to be in a band. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, it was called lover boy. I go, oh, yeah, I know, heard of him. He goes, yeah, but he goes, <laughs> then he, he's, he went into this whole story of how he, it didn't fit the band or whatever, and he was their first guitar player. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. And now, he, but he's doing this because he loves it. And I, uh, it was just amazing to watch him play. And I know what you mean when you say that sound. And it is really like, um, it, it's an event watching somebody play classical guitar properly. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, you know, you can see it too because it's quite often when you see people playing fingerstyle, they might be using a, their thumb and uh, two other fingers. But on classical guitar, you got you know your index, middle, and your ring finger and your right hand playing, and yeah. your thumb, and you're creating. You know, when you when you get that technique going, you can create an accompaniment with your with your thumb, yeah, and a melody with your fingers, and you know that creates a. Or you can do a certain, uh, you know, rascados where multiple fingers are strumming and create a wall of sound. Like there, there's, hmm. you know, and 
then you start getting the crossover of the flamenco techniques into the classical techniques and right you know there, there's modern techniques some of the players in eastern canada are using like all four fingers plus their thumb when they're playing <laughs> and it's like that's just my when you see that then you're just like whoa like you spent a lot of time yeah locked up working on that technique you know good stuff yeah i don't know if you'd yeah. be up for this but I, i'm you've got a couple singles out there we should maybe play one of these in the podcast i could always uh edit that in if you'd be up for that i don't know if absolutely that's... Yeah. yeah absolutely so um would you if i play something now would you go towards uh caminos or, or uh the soul of the guitar what, what one would you would you like to hear you could play a little bit of caminos sure. that was that was the last album to come out so that that's a real uh latin like brazil argentinian and that is a real style isn't it you, you know it when you hear it yeah that's you know when you start playing music from uh from latin america yeah. you really have that uh the, the rhythm going on it has that uh the, the rhythms underneath it and it has a fantastic um creation of rhythm with this rhythm underneath with melodic lines on the top yeah which are really really cool it was in Mendoza a few years back and, and uh, all through Argentina. You just hear that. You just walk into a restaurant. You just hear it. It's always in the background. I just, I hear that and that's where I go back to that place. to the water um okay or should we go to the tying bench i think with you we need to hit the bench a little bit here okay talk to me about your tying um is that something you've been doing most of your life you know i took a i took a quite a um a break from it 
when I started, uh, when I came down in the early 2000s to start my, um, my music career because uh, they're just, you know, I was playing guitar four, five hours a day in school for another five hours a day, six hours a day, then coming back and, and trying to do all the theory homework and the history homework and everything. So the whole, the actually a good break, probably about six years, seven years, um, there just wasn't a lot of fly tying going on. Um, even with my fishing, I was only able to do it sometimes once a month when I'd come up on the holidays back to Kamloops and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it did start getting easier with more time around two, 2006, 2007 when I graduated. And that's when I got right into uh, um, fishing for um, salmon fishing and steelhead fishing on the coast here. Right. Um, that's when it started, I started getting back into it, tying these pretty, uh, flashy looking patterns to say the least. And then, um, took, uh, another little break from it when we, uh, had my daughter Bridget and got married and stuff. And then when she ended up hitting kindergarten, that's when I went full time. Cause I had, you know, she's in kindergarten now she's in school. I'm tying, I'm competing. And then that, that's when I really just, you know, I actually, I dedicated myself to trout fishing at that point. I said, you know what, I'm going to not try and tie every pattern out there that I see like saltwater pattern or salmon pattern or what have you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dedicate myself to patterns that I can pick up fish with in on still water and patterns I can pick up fish, uh, on the rivers. And then I just, I just became a, um, like a trout just specializing in trope yeah. patterns. Yeah, well, right? I'll tell you, I it's funny. So I'm always looking for potential people to chat on this podcast. And your name has been on my list for a long time. And then actually, it, it moved up a little quicker. Devin Steven called me up. He's like, why don't, why don't you interview Stanton? I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, it's funny because before I even chatted with you, I knew your patterns. I know, When I see one of your patterns, I, know it's, I almost know it's yours. And same with what like Trevor ties. I can tell his ties. It's funny how you know somebody's ties. Like if, if you ever tie a pattern and you give it to a buddy, five years from now, he could open up his fly box and somehow there's a connection there. You, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's one of mine. Yeah. No, I agree. Like I, you know, it's funny you bring those guys up because I've chatted with those guys a ton on, on Facebook, on Messenger and stuff, you know, yeah. and I can actually see, like I, I can look at a pattern, like one of Trevor's patterns. Mm-hmm. And I said this to him too. I was like, like, you know, he ties up this ASB with this red rib and, and, and he highlights the black wire. And it's, I said to him, Trevor, that's like your signature pattern. And he goes, well, it is, but that's not ASB. Right. And he's actually messaged me and I, and said, you know, that pattern you put up. And I'm like, yeah. And he, he dissected it. Like yeah. actually told me like, you're using an amber rib, you're using this, you're doing this thread. And I'm like, how did you do that, man? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you just dissected like a, a triple thread pattern with multiple yeah. ribs. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's cool. Right. And I can, you can actually see, and I know what you're saying. You can see the patterns Yeah. when, when you get people that are, that are putting that much heart and that much passion into their tie, making every thread wrap count, you know, and they're, yeah. they, they, they spaced out their ribs or they've done their dubbing to that perfected, mm-hmm. you know, amount. Um, it, it, it shows. Well, it started and, going to another level when I'm seeing like, you know, these size 16 chronomids and not only do they have like triple ribs, you've got a rib within a rib and then you've got extra small black wire on either side of that rib. And I'm like, 
you're killing me, man. Cause I'm trying to keep up and it ain't, it's not going to happen. I know that, but uh. you know, you know, you, the chronomid time in the last uh, maybe three years has just gone crazy. Like it's, yeah. you know, like the idea of like throwing out, you know, when, when I grew up in Kamloops, like we were, we didn't even have uh curved nymph hooks. They were just regular 14 uh, straight yep. nymph sprouts or whatever. Yep, exactly. Down around eye, right? Yeah, and you'd wrap your black thread around it, and th- there was zero taper. Like I actually pulled out a couple, and I was looking at them. I was like, Man, I was crappy back then. Yeah. But those things slayed, and there was just a mm-hmm. there was no taper. You you'd be lucky, you know. Somebody might have like stripped a piece of electronics or something for some copper wire, yeah, and it'd be copper wrapped around it or red wire, no finish on it. For some reason, we didn't believe in finish. I don't know why, or we didn't know about it. Yeah. And half the time they had these gold beads on them because they're only only beads we could get at surplus herbies. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. But they they slayed, and I was looking at my my leeches, yeah. and I had these. I had two patterns back then. I had this little dubbed uh, dragon that had goose bites out the back and some goose bites sticking out the side. Yeah, and then a, and then a leech. And I looked at them both and I said. <laughs> The only difference of these two patterns are those four bias, two at the front and two at the back, yeah. right? Well, you, you must have had some Montanas in there or some Idaho's or maybe, uh, <laughs> shoot, 52 Buick, uh, Spratly back in the day. You know, I know my brother did, but <laughs> we we fished so many of those lakes with uh, black and red or copper rib uh, chronomids. With those, remember the balsa wood uh, indicators? I think they, what did they yep. call them? Thrill, thrills, thrills, I think. Thrill, yeah, yeah, thrills see, or something. yeah, 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 yeah. And remember those things? <laughs> they were horrible, you know, compared them to quick release indicators now because you would hop those things out and just say you had like, I don't know, you're 16 feet of water and you're 14 feet down or something. And you'd lock them in. Remember, you'd lock them in. And you'd be you'd be fighting your fish, and you're just you, you couldn't do anything. You'd have to reach up and, and move the indicator. Remember <laughs> yeah, that? It's like a moment I moment do. of truth. I still or do that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Or you'd say to your buddy, you'd you'd reach your tip over to your buddy in the front of the boat and go, "Can you do my indicator?" Yeah, exactly. And he would do it with like a cigarette in his hand or in his mouth or something. <laughs> and sometimes he'd burn your line, and you're just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like, but, uh, you know, thinking of how fly fishing is advanced, like you think of those patterns yeah. that, and they, and they slayed, honestly, they slayed, you know, we are kids and yeah. we didn't know any better and they, those patterns slayed, but you look at the chronomids now, like they look like they oh. come up from outer space. I know. Oh, I think of, mean, think of like just a, a, a peacock hurl halfback or, or fullback. And that, yep. like you said, the only difference was maybe one had a tail and one had a little hackle around the <laughs> thorax. It's like they're... You know, you're tying with about six or eight different materials. You can only, you know, you didn't have the wealth of, you know, materials you have now. Well, it's incredible, the materials. And, you know, like, when you you think of, you think of, like, a basic pattern. That, that slays, like, you put on a, a gold rib, gold bead hair's ear. And that, that pattern will pick up fish, or like a pheasant tail. And, like, you know, those patterns forever will pick up fish. Yeah. But look at what we have now. Like, look at some of these... Uh, UV materials, some of these beads that we have, like tungsten beads and, and, you know, and they're offset and stuff like that. Like now you can, you can create just 
yeah. any insect you really want with some of the materials you have. I, like, you know, that mm-hmm. definitely were not around 20 or 30 years ago. Cool. You know, it's just incredible. Talk to me about your go-tos in that department. So being that you're you're with uh, Chinook Wind Outfitters and Togan's Fly Shop, what is it you enjoy so much about working with those guys? Well, you know, firstly, there it's so cool to be part of um, Canadian companies like that, you know, and from British Columbia, from Canada, and they're fantastic people that you can call, talk with about products, um, you know, not just me, but people, if you know, if you just say you wanted to ask about a flash or something, right. or, or a dubbing or, or, or hooks or beads and what, what beads and what hooks you can put together. They're a phone call away or an email away. Yeah. And the nice thing is um, they fish too. So you're not like you're, you're dealing with, uh, with people that aren't fishermen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're anglers. They fish the lakes uh, so, and, and the rivers. So it, it's good like that. And they've got people, uh, tires like myself and others that are right there. And I don't want to, you know, like a phone call away or a chat away to say, yeah. Hey, this customer's called in and said, you know, what would be a good hook size to, to fish on these lakes? Yeah. And you get it, you, you know, and if, and if the, you get like half a dozen responses within about 10 minutes of yeah. good fishermen, you know? That's old school, old school customer service. I mean, I actually, we had Susan on from Chinook Wind Outfitters, uh, mm-hmm. and she was great to chat with. And I'm trying to get Justin on. Uh, from Togans, and we'll make that happen at some point. But man, they're <laughs> they're busy right now, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely, and you know, it's it's unreal. Um, I was worried about uh, Togans and Chinook One Outfitters and some of my local shops, like my fly shop and Pacific Angler, when our, when the pandemic uh, kicked in. Yeah, because I thought, you know, like what's going to happen? You know, we're all going to be locked down. We're all going to be this and. I went up and I talked with Tim at my fly shop and he said, no, man, quite the opposite. We can't get, you know, stuff in quick enough. Yeah. And we're having some of our best months here because people are, are now have time to go fishing. Yeah. You know, like last June was a huge month for huge. Last June was a huge month for the industry. Yeah. Uh, June, 2020, because everybody was out. I remember driving up to, to Merritt. And uh, I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to duck into Lundbaum before I hit Kamloops. And I went in there. And I think it was, uh, you know, like June 3rd or something, first weekend or something. And I counted 60 boats on the lake. Oh, man. And I was like, holy crow. Like, I've never, like, it looked like like one of those marinas in California or something. Like, it was just unreal. Yeah. Everything, everything blew up last year when, when, because we were, we weren't allowed to really go anywhere. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you can go in the bush because, you know, you're not going to find it's not like you're sitting in, in rapid transit. I mean, it's like there's yeah. nobody right around you and it's a good place to be. And man, it was so busy. I, I agree. I've never seen it quite like that. I've never seen it like that. And it, it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to fish, uh, fish the drive-in lakes. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, I talked to a couple of friends in Calips and I said, let's, let's break out the float tubes. And I went and, and uh, ordered myself a new float tube. Hmm. Um, nice fish cat. Yeah. And, uh, we did all the, all those back, back hill lakes, you know, outside yeah. of Kamloops. Nice. And, uh, and it was fantastic. And, it, you know, it was way harder to walk <laughs> in with those float tubes now that you're like 25 years older or something. Right. Yeah. But, uh, what an experience, you know, and you're fishing some of those lakes, 
you're like, I don't know when they last stocked this lake. Like, who knows? Yeah. And uh, I don't know when these fish have seen a fly last, you know, some of those Wells Gray lakes and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you go in there and you're just like, it's like it being a kid again. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, and they're just, yeah. they're just wild trout. And they're just, you're bending your six weight, right tip into the water. And you're thinking, holy crow, like, you know, and you got to hike out, unfortunately. But uh, but I did a lot of that. It was a lot of retro retro fishing that I it was yeah. a great year in that regard for sure yeah it's interesting interesting for sure and I think you know the growth in fly fishing in the last five years especially the last two three years has been phenomenal oh absolutely and you can you can see it too like you know some of the guys some of the guys I fished with in the competitive fly fishing you know these guys have maybe started fishing a year or two before you know, they started going in the competitions and I'd see them in the competitions. Like they've learned to cast and stuff. Yeah. But because they're getting help from, you know, like Team Canada, <laughs> yeah. fly fishermen, uh, you know, what flies to use and, and different lines, you know, like the, mm-hmm. these guys have every line sink rate you can imagine. Um, these guys picked up fish, you know, two years into it. They're, they're hammering fish. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, if I didn't do competitive fly fishing, I'd still be out there you know, looking, looking at an indicator or, you know, stripping in my fast intermediate line or my type three. Yeah. But, you know, the idea is of fishing blobs or boobies. And I remember when I first saw those patterns, I was like, I, I'm not going to fish that. That's not a fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But, uh, they get good. And, and so you see that and then all everything that's on the internet now, plus all that knowledge of, of flies like you can you can go on youtube and and pick up a uh watch a tutorial and tie just the world's greatest mayfly or damselfly or, or what have you you, yeah. know? you know the learning it's curve incredible. Is, it's crazy steep now the curve yeah like it's it's unreal and some of the patterns people are putting out that incorporate uh uv materials and and flashes and taking into account all these you know like perfect seven segmented ribs and stuff and you're just like you know, it's just unreal. And then you find out the person's like, you know, been tying for a year. I, you know, I, I, I run into that all the time. I'll, I'll look at some, I can usually tell how long, or you can tell someone's been tying for a long time. And, but now it's getting hard because I, I've interviewed on this show. Some people have only been tying for a couple of years that are, are, mm-hmm. are heads and tails ahead of the curve. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite motivating actually. Yeah. It, it's totally cool. Like it's, I, some of the patterns I look at that people are putting out and, uh, and you know, the, the first, the first thing you look at is, wow, like that is just amazing looking. And then you start thinking, well, how much time did that take? Cause it's inevitable <laughs> that you're going to think of how much time, you know, cause you think yeah. of your own time that tying in these ribs and what have you. I'm tying a lot of one-offs lately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got a little jam jar upstairs that I've ran through the dishwasher a couple of times that has all my one-offs and I, and I look at it and I'm like, you know, some of these, some of these could work. And then you look at some and you're like, mm, you know, if, if yeah. fish could count those three ribs just aren't going to work, you know, <laughs> who, if you had to look at, um, tires out there today, whether it's on YouTube, Instagram, or who do you draw inspiration from? Uh, you know, lately it's, there's been a, a British tire named, uh, Barry Ord. He's got a, a book out called the, uh, the Featherbender. Okay. 
and I love looking at his patterns because he he does fantastic tutorials. Um, it's great looking at the book. He's got all, every every fly that he puts in the book he has on the internet for everybody on YouTube. And um, I get really inspired because they're just so awesome. Like you look at them and you're like, that emerger would pick up fish in all the lakes that I fish. And, you know, some of those dry flies and, you know, and the way he does it too is you don't, because sometimes you look at the pattern. And I have this thing when it comes to patterns that no matter how much time I put in or how, um, you know, articulate they are, articulated they are or anything like that, they have to see beauty. They have to fish right yeah and that's one thing i like about Barry's patterns is that they're stunning and they're beautiful but they're, they're fish like you're, they're gonna fish awesome you know they have that look they have the silhouette they have the movement yeah um and some of the patterns you see out there they're they're not really um fishy patterns like they look like it but they're almost like too yeah they're, too, they're like realistic they're too yeah, perfect they're like, yeah they're too perfect and you'd put them you might you might put them behind glass or something and say like that's yeah. my adult uh, you know, spinner mayfly or something, right? But yeah, you never want to fish it because put it it's in... not going to sit on the surface because it's got about you know a half a ball of resin on it. Yeah, exactly. It's not so, going to move in the water. Put it's it... not going to move in the water. So yeah. they have to have that right element of um, realism. Yes. But ultimately, they have to they have to see beauty. You know, it's like um, it's like you know some people they have these real collections or something, and they'll they'll have. Uh, you know, Hardy's that are, fed, you know, from 19 or 1892 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll never fish them. And I think, you know, wouldn't it be rad to go out and, and, you know, catch a, catch a Stevie with that four inch Hardy and just watch it go down the valley, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, like <laughs> that, that's my take on, on, on the patterns. They have to, they have to be able to fish. Yeah. It's funny. We, I have, brought up the suggestive versus realistic a lot of times. And I think as fly tires and as someone purchasing a pattern, it has to look good to you. So it has to be realistic, but you know, if it's, if it's not suggestive at the same time as something real fishy that a trout would eat, it doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter how pretty it is. And that's, and that's where I think the world's kind of cross over to lures for me when it's it's almost like something's been spray painted and it's just like, yeah, that looks amazing, but it, it looks like a robot. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, and you, you'll see this on Instagram a lot though. It's nice. I almost look at it like it's nice to know that it can be made. And it's, if you were going to make, a pattern and put it behind glass or something and be like, you know, this is, you know, some of these, some guys have made put patterns behind, uh, behind like, um, a material and put it in, made a cork, not a cork. What am I trying to say? Like a wine top out of it and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, and you know, that's really cool. And it's great to see patterns like that, but it's, you want to have that right amount, right element, a right combination of the, of the realism and, and it has to be able to to fish and pick up fish. Like, look fishy, you know? Do you, have the body, have everything like that. Are you currently professionally designing patterns for fly companies? Not for fly companies. Okay. Every All my patterns are, are primarily, uh, they're made for fishing. I fish them, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, sometimes, and it's like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll do a pattern. Like, I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to put a wing bud. I'm going to put a turkey wing bud. Turkey buy it wing butt on this chromie, 
Yeah. And yeah, it takes a lot of time, but uh, it's cool knowing because I look at them and be like, that looks just like the buds that I've seen on, on throat samples. And that, you know, size 18 with the wing bud, that's going to pick them up, you know? Do you find that having that wing bud on there helps? You know, I've been asked that a lot. Um, and with my experience with them, I actually believe it does. And I've actually tested it. I've been like, put down a chromie, uh, both size 18, two rods out, two indicators out, same depth, right? And the one with the wing bud, I do these little orange wing buds, has pulled down quicker. Had more takes. And then I've actually said, okay, now you have to do swap the sides of the boat, hock them both out. And that same one, now it's on the left side and it's picked them up. You're going to make me put wing buds in all these damn things now? Jeez. I don't, you know, you know what though, but you just never know with this. Like you just never know, <laughs> you know, you know, like, yeah, uh, I, just, I love uh, what you're doing though, man. Those patterns that you're doing, check them out on, on Stanton's Instagram. Instagram is what I'm trying to say. Um, they're unbelievable. And they really are. Uh, keep up the good work, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. What are you tying on? What kind of vice are you using? I uh, I picked up a Renzetti presentation 2000, okay. and I just I'm in love with this vice. Like this, the things I can do with that movable hinge arm, it's similar to a master. Okay. Um, the, like a master uh, Renzetti is uh, it's just fantastic. You know, like for coming back to those wing buds, like for being able to invert the fly and then move that uh, that hinge arm to tie on your wing buds and hold your thread and your resin and everything like that. It's fantastic. Um, what and just, of, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I was just, I was just going to say like it, for all sorts of patterns too, like being able to flip that over and just move the hinge arm. It's, it's just such an advantage. I gotta, I gotta figure out what you're talking about because I have a Renzetti, but it's just, it's, you know, it's one of the price point models. It's the uh, traveler, which I love. Uh, and it's the nicest vice that I've, had to mm-hmm. date travelers are fantastic yeah and it's got its place but um I, I gotta have to look and see what you're talking about with the hinge hmm. so have you seen the master the master renzetti honestly so i they, haven't yeah well they, they come down just so if you picture your traveler arm coming down right before it hits the jaws it has one one other adjustable angle there okay before it hits the jaws yeah and that allows you to kind of move it up to get a real true true rotary where you're where you're hook shanks like not moving at all and it's just spinning Ah, okay and it also allows you to kind of completely invert it so you can you know sometimes it's you know like a bit of a get out of jail free card for me on tying it right up to the eye on some of these dry fly patterns because i can literally put the hook so the eye's almost sticking straight up so it doesn't you know sometimes when you're tying off you your your thread just comes off the front of the eye oh yeah right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that actually gets me out. So my thread, the gravity kind of pulls it back so I can get my, yeah. my whip finish on there. Okay. Um, so that's helped me out a lot, but yeah, that's a great vice. And you know, Renzetti makes a fantastic product. So when you I'm put, really happy with that. When you put your ribs on, are you using the rotary function or are you doing it by hand? I do mine by hand. Interesting. I, yeah, like I, I've used the rotary function and I can do it, but, um, before that I was on, uh, well, before that, I had a spider, an Odyssey spider cam, which is a great vice. But before that vice, I just had one of those, um, it was a knockoff Regal vice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you couldn't really do the rotary. Like, you could flip it upside down, but you couldn't do that smooth 
turning rotary like you can with the handle. Sure. And uh, so I would, uh, I just got used to doing my ribs by by hand. So I, and I can actually do them quicker. Like I can space them out and I can see them all. So I just yeah. What's the I don't magic? Use the rotary on it. What's the magic number of ribs? Seven. <laughs> I was gonna say, is it seven or eight? Seven. Okay. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's uh, I'm actually once you start, you know getting obsessive about or obsessed about counting your ribs you look at my mayflies on instagram they all got seven ribs you know <laughs> even when i'm doing these uh like squirrel tail leeches and stuff like that they'll have uh seven seven red wire ribs around them and stuff like that like it's just you yeah. get you get once you start counting sevens all you all you see is sevens in your fly tying well i swear to god that uh mayfly patterns i mean if you have the right color chronomid there's no difference like i honestly think when there's a hatch going on i remember a day on jacko lake a few years back we were fishing dragon lake special um that kind of a brown brown chronomid with a silver rib and a silver bead tungsten bead and they were taking them as mayflies there was no doubt in my mind just like three feet under an indicator and it was every cast and i went you know this chronomid is, it's not just a midge. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it's true. And that's when it really comes down to presentation, doesn't it? You know, like you, you get your depth right and you get that presentation and you can figure out the movement and get that silhouette and get that movement going. Yeah. Um, you know, like I've, I've seen, uh, you know, people throw out a chunk of leather, like a little, little strip of leather with an articulated hook on it and they get that countdown right on that type three and they start stripping and they're hammering fish. Hmm. Right. You know, and then, you know, out of ex- experiments and stuff, you, I put down a, a chronomid with just a bead on it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and picked up fish. Sure. And, and not only that, but I'm the master of, uh, of getting the, uh, the swivel bite. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. You know, you, Me too. Yeah. You throw it out. You're like, yeah, that's a hit. And then, you, you know, 10 times later, your, your buddy's like, you know, you might want to raise it up two feet, raise <laughs> up that chromey two feet. And it's just nonstop. Right. Yeah. Or, so, you, or you got a four trout through the pectoral fin. And you're like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he was going for the swivel and I jerked it into his fin. Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, but coming back to it, that's all presentation though, isn't it? You know, like the yeah. depth and, and getting it down there. Are you, I guess you're not allowed to fish indicators competitively, are you? No, one of the rules is you're not allowed to have any, um, any indicators. And one of the rules that really messed me up, uh, was you're not allowed to anchor. Oh boy. So you're, you're, you're casting yeah. and, and fishing out of a drifting boat. You can yeah. imagine like you have a drogue, which is slows you down. It's a yeah. tarp that opens up in the water and kind sure. of slows you down, uh, your, your, your speed. Yeah. Uh, as you're drifting, but you're, you're still moving. Right. That and, just sounds um, counterintuitive to everything that I've been learning the past 15 years. <laughs> well, totally. Like you, you take a, you take a guy like myself or, or others out there that have, you know, only really indicator fished and anchored. Yeah. Right. And even when they weren't indicating when they're casting, they're just anchored casting in the same shoal in the same part of water. They weren't moving around like that. Right. Yeah. And, that was a big adjustment. That was a really big adjustment. Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, it's, so, it's, uh, it's cool. I want to ask you a hard question. So now because yeah. you spend all this time fishing competitively and I assume you're fishing a lot of moving water, you've got mm-hmm. the 
background with the still water and the interior. What do you prefer? Or can you pick one? Like if, if somebody puts you on your dream lake today or puts you on your dream stream, which is going to be? You know, that's a tough one. You know, it's actually, it actually would actually come down to the, uh, the company I'm with, right? <laughs> you know, because if I'm with some of the guys in the BC League, um, you know, and, and some of those guys anchor too, they cry midfish too, right? You know, no question about it. But uh, if I'm with those guys, it's fun to, there is a certain element of competition that's still happening, even though there might not be competition, you know? Yes. And so you're, you're we're doing drifting and it's actually because, the the idea behind it too is you're you're always kind of practicing you know you're always trying to better your technique so it makes sense to to drift with drift and do lock style techniques with with those guys mm. but i know when i go back home and i fish with my friends from Kamloops, the guys i grew up with and stuff they're all anchored right yeah and uh it's hard to especially on a chronomid hatch in like june in Kamloops. um you know, you, uh, you start seeing their bobbers going down. It's like, you know, you're not going to go <laughs> drifting by hucking a blob or something. It was there like catching like 30 fish. Right. So, yeah. um, it's totally the company I'm with and, and what, what other people are doing and stuff. Stanton, when so. you fish a blob, are you stripping that fairly aggressively? Is it hanging? How do you fish a blob normally? Sometimes. Well, usually I'm on a type three. Okay. And I, uh, and I'm doing I'm doing a countdown. I'm figuring out what depth they are. Sometimes it could be like a 20 second countdown, could be a 30 or a minute even, depending on the depth. And uh, then you kind of got to figure it out, um, you know, how they're taking it. Uh, sometimes yeah, I'll do do like a sporadic, like you know, stripping it almost like you would a scud or something, like fast sporadic strips. Yeah. And then sometimes you you'll dip the tip right into the water. And do like a roly poly and just start going hand over hand, picking it up, you know, and you'll have a big blob pulsating in the water, shooting everything to those fish's laterals. And uh and they'll and they hit it sometimes like that. So you kinda gotta figure out how they're gonna hit it and then kind of capitalize on that and just keep doing it. Hmm. So there there is no specific retrieve, but there's you do lots of different retrieves to to figure out how they wanna hit it. How much sure. do you vary the color of the blobs you're fishing is there a go-to for you or do you mix it up i mix it up um sometimes if i'm fishing like a a darker darker lake yeah like say a tan colored lake i like to kind of run a darker blob right okay uh every sometimes i even run them like dark olives with black in there and stuff and then to try and get like a silhouette and try and create a pulse silhouette what do you think they're taking that as i don't know (laughs) So I know, you know, some could be, maybe it's, maybe they're thinking that's a dragon. Yeah. Know? Maybe. Maybe they're thinking that's a big leech that's pushing a lot of water swimming. Yeah. Um, or maybe they're just like, what the hell is that? You know? And one of my friends uh, said to me that, um, you know, f- fish don't have arms, right? So they can't, they can't grab something like we can <laughs> to check it out. Yeah. All they have is their mouth. Right? right. Right. And so they come up and, you know, they'll, uh, they might just nip at that just, just to check it out. And sometimes you hook them doing it, right? I'll get their interest. Yeah. Well, especially something stripped, you know, it's like, it's getting away from them. They might as well, uh, have a crack at it. But I, I, I that's something that I, I like to ask people kind of in the know, because I always wonder that, you know, I, I do remember a few days when there was a lot of Daphnia, you know, like that pinkish kind of, um, yeah. just their globs in the water. There's so many of them. And, 
I, I've had some really good luck just suspending that under an indicator, not moving it at all. And, yes. You know, so I just, and then you strip it and then I'm like, it kind of looks like an egg. It kind of looks like it could be a lot of things. And it could I, be the, a lot of things. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, does it really matter? If, I mean, you don't put a lure on and go, well, what's this supposed to be? <laughs> it's like, you know, I know. We're, and, you know, and but, here's the thing. There's that, there's that debate, right? You know, like you even heard Brian Chan say this, that this could represent Daphnia, right? right? Yeah. And then, you know, but Daphnia, I'm pretty sure Daphnia are not swimming as fast as I'm really pulling in that blog. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're going fast, yeah. You know, and, and the, yeah. the thing is, too, some of the colors, they don't look anything like the Daphnia, you know, like the olives or the peach Daphnia that we've seen in the in throat samples. Some of them are like, you know, atomic yellow and <laughs> Hulk, Hulk green and stuff. Like they're just, they're there to, to pulse in the water. And I, and I think create interest and maybe even create a, you know, piss off these fish or create a territorial response or something, you know, the, because. The biggest fish um, that I caught last year, or actually I shouldn't, I didn't actually catch it. I netted it. My buddy uh, caught, um, had a blob in its mouth like that was still there from another angler and it was chartreuse with a black butt and a chartreuse tungsten bead. And I, I'm, I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? Cause I was like, we, we were fishing chironomids. Yeah. Um, but man, I was, I hadn't seen one that color. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta mix my game up a little bit. <laughs> that totally sounds like a comp fly that sounds like a oh. somebody has somebody you know sounds like a uk fly or something like yeah that, right exactly you I, know? yeah yeah and they work like it's unreal you know five years ago if you would have said to me we're going to put on these big yellow eyes we're going to put on this you know bright emergency color looking orange and we're going to fish yeah. this pattern i'll be like get out that will never work that's <laughs> that's complete that... silliness why would you even think of that you're yeah. ruining my day with that yeah you know? I I know I was just going to say I'm you you just jogged a memory and I'm going back 35 years here we were fishing like just olive damsels right well one -hmm. year we decided what if we did them black and and I'm like that is not going to work it's never going to work not going to work not going to catch it doesn't look like a damsel Mm -hmm. fish don't care and that that pattern I swear that was the only pattern I fished for like two years. It was like bang, bang, bang. I don't know if it's a leech, it's a damsel, it's a searching pattern. It's a, it worked. And then, you know, when these blobs, I was like really hesitant when they first came out. I'm like, I'm not, I don't even know what the hell that is. I don't, what am I going to do with that? It's like fishing an egg and, you know, an egg pattern or something. Yeah. But, it, it, it's no it doesn't look like a food source like even yeah. daphnia look how small daphne is even in clump form yeah it doesn't look like that big you know size 10 curved hook no. uh you know gigantic fritzy looking thing blob right i got this theory though and i tell me if i'm out in left field but because a lot of these fish that we catch have been raised in a hatchery when something hits the, for the same reason they're hitting my strike indicator, it's like, well, maybe that's a fish pellet and it's like ingrained, <laughs> ingrained from the hatchery or maybe it's an egg or maybe, you know what I mean? It's just like, yes. you see them hit weird things sometimes. I've had this conversation with a couple of guys and actually Todd Oshi in particular. And I said, you know, Todd, I can, 
because on the North American lock style console, fish roach, tunqua, yeah. corbett, and batstone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can do well on tunqua, I can do well on roach, um, but all those fish, they come in, they're stocked, and they're stocked in very small, and they become adults in the lake, eating natural insects, right? Yeah. But you take those fish in corbett and batstone, mm-hmm. and they come in, they're stockies, and they come in as adult fish. For the most part, they're, you know, one and a half pounds and or bigger, right? right. Put into the lake from whatever farm. And those fish haven't grown up on that small insect chronomid right. diet, right? right? Yeah. So they're not like our, our roach lake or our tunqua panask or anything like that, eating small insects where you can catch them on maize or damsels or, or caddis or whatever hatch is happening. Yeah. Th- those things, they don't know. They're, I don't want to call them stupid fish because they've outsmart me many a times as I'm fishing my big flies and stuff yeah. in those lakes. But, uh, you know, like they... Um, those fish will will hit those big oh yeah stocky looking pat those big patterns that the stockies hit and you can actually see it when when the guys when you get the get the uk guys you know the the team england and team ireland come over and they're they're masters of the stocky fish because all their lakes are all stocked like that right all their reservoirs exactly yeah Yeah. so they come over and they and they're like them i remember seeing this one guys he was uh part of the british army and he opened up his box and i've never seen so many colors in my life like i'm not even talking blobs i'm talking colors hmm. of every type of blob every type of boob you can imagine wow and uh and those guys they when they fish those those stocky lakes they capitalize because yeah. they know how to they know how those stockies act and their behavior patterns and stuff See, and the, weird things, yeah. That, sorry, that's I didn't, no, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. But that's <laughs> that's how I think when I fish a, a Fraser Valley Rainbow Stock Lake, like yeah. like yeah, put exactly. a blob on because it'll go down. If I'm fishing panas that maybe have a little more wild genetics to them somehow, or they're just more buggy, yeah, blobs one of the last things I'll go to. It'll be yeah. all about the chronomet. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, I mean, these are just theories, but I find it fascinating talking with somebody that's uh, kind of seen some of the same things. Mm-hmm. No, it's 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 totally true. That's those are the characteristics for sure. Like it's when you take uh, and you think of the fish growing up in the lake like that, and and getting the natural the natural diet, mm-hmm. it, they totally they totally you know they'll look at blobs, and you you might get them right. They're definitely in fall when there's no other insects in the water. Those panas will definitely hit. Them. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know where you where those Frasers will still hit blobs or or big boobies, you know, in the middle of you know May and June. Mm-hmm. Those panas won't touch it. They'll swim the other way. Like they'll <laughs> they'll turn the other way and go the other way, right? They won't have anything to do with it. They'll focus in on whatever yeah. size twenty or eighteen chronometer or something. Exactly. You know? They're like, I don't know what that is. I'm not touching that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. And that's well, what I love about the panas too, is that, is that they're insect eaters. Like that's yes. guys like me that love to tie, you know, mayflies and damsels and, you know, our, our favorite kind of classic still water stuff. I love, I love fish like that. And, you know, plus the, the scrap you get out of a, a hardy panas, you know, it's just well, incredible. They like to get airborne in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Teal uh, your line and everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So now we're kind of in the, this is a funny time right now with COVID and everything, but have you got anything uh, exciting coming down the pipe? Is competitive fly fishing going to get back going? What's your gut feel? 
Well, I think we could probably, you know, I might be jumping the gun here and got to talk to the higher ups in the organization department and stuff, but um, it, we might be able to get some local comps going, um, you know, like small mini day comps. I don't think we'll be able to have the big international comps. Right. And, uh, but, you know, if everybody can follow our, our health regulations and stuff, I, you know, basically traveling in your own car and stuff like that. I don't see why we can have the river comps, right? right? Once hopefully restrictions and stuff ease up and I would just, I just love to see that, you know, because uh, it, it's been, that's been really tough. It's exciting catching fish still, but it's pretty awesome when you're catching fish and you're getting points for it. So <laughs> is there a schedule that, um, you know, you have on the wall that says, well, this is where we're supposed to be in May. Um, yeah. You know, if, if things go. So is there like, um, is it like a tour as far as you're hitting different bodies of water, different times, and then there's like a, a final competition? What does that even look like? So what usually happens is uh, Todd usually puts out, uh, you know, a, a tentative schedule out in December um, for the com- upcoming, for the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have, you know, we used to have them in February um, on the stave and that would start out and then you might have one on the vetter and then you get a couple late comps and then there's like a short break, um, in July and we'd have another river comp in August. Right. And then we'd have some of the bigger comps, like the big one in September was the uh, North American lock style comps. That's when you'd fish the four different venues, Tunkwa, Roach, Corbett and Batstone. And that's a very exciting one because you're fishing with people, you know, all around the world from all over the world, right. They're coming in and, uh, and that one's worth a lot of points to, to win. That one's quite yeah. fantastic. And we had the actual nationals, the Canadian nationals scheduled to happen uh, in Merritt and uh, Similkameen in Princeton um, last year. But unfortunately, the, uh, the pandemic happened and uh, that'll have to be canceled and stuff. But hopefully right. when we come on the other side of this, um, we can continue with that. So really looking forward to that. It was, it was part of the, part of the plan to, to compete in the Canadian nationals. Right. Right. Do you find that with your, you know, your, your day job or your evening job, um, teaching classical guitar that helps your schedule with the fishing? Cause you can kind of set your own schedule. Yes, absolutely. See, um, almost all, almost every, almost every afternoon and evening I'm, I'm teaching, but some mornings, you know, a couple mornings through the week, I won't be. And, uh, you know, I can convince my wife to take, you know, Bridget to my daughter to school and stuff. And I jump in the truck and I'd go hit one of the local rivers and start practicing and get some practice time. And, uh, that was really good. You know, didn't really translate to the lakes. Cause I'd still have to drive you for either two hours up the, uh, sea to sky or the, um, or three hours the other way to get into Kamloops or Merritt. Right. But, uh, but it was great for the river stuff. It totally helped. And it was awesome going steelheading and during the weekday in the mornings for sure. <laughs> less people on the river, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, man, but there's a million, million avenues we can go down and uh, be quite honest. I got a list of probably 20 questions. I haven't even asked you cause I haven't needed to, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Is there anything we didn't cover that we should? Any tips uh, or tricks for tying that you're sitting on? You're not letting us in on. Cause I'm telling you, <laughs> I love what you're doing on the vice. Uh, for for the uh, 
for the vice, it's pretty much old there. One thing I'd like to actually do get uh, involved more of is uh, do some more YouTube videos and some uh, tutorial videos. Nice. You know, a couple of those mayfly patterns put up there. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to uh, working with Togans right now, we have some exciting products that I'm kind of doing some of the development uh, part in, which I'm really happy about uh, setting up a, a new set of fly lines. Yeah. That um, you know are have a lot of what I've learned in competition, you know, set up and Perfect. things like that. So that's very exciting. I'm excited about that and uh, excited for, for ice off probably like the, rest of, <laughs> like the rest of us, right? Yeah. Try yeah. these patterns, right? Yeah. That's, that's the test, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Keep up all the good work and, and thanks so much for being so sharing with your information that you're learning, you know, on the competitive circuit at the tie-in bench and uh, taking the time to, to chat tonight. Absolutely, Mark. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening tonight to a chat with Stanton Jack, a competitive fly fisher out of Vancouver, British Columbia. He's on the pro team with Chinook Wind Outfitters and Togan Fly Shop. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.